I'm Tony Epstein, and this is the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together. This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WGDR. It's happening. I can feel it. How would you explain it? It's beautiful. God, it's God. I say God. How do you like that? Why, it's preposterous. Thank you very much. Information in the form of energy streams in, streams in simultaneously through all of our sensory systems in the form of energy. Nadia Beck. She's a spiritual teacher who helps people work with their trauma and reconnect with who they most deeply and truly are. And as is often the case with these kind of conversations, we jump in before I get to formally introduce them. So I think it's CV fiber. Yes, it is. But uh, it's a little ways away. It's a year away. And meanwhile, I'm making do with this crap. It's, it's not... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of crap that we have to make do with. Oh, my God. It's it's beyond crap. Yeah, it's insanity. 
It's insanity. It's total insanity. But I am so clear about it. I'm so clear about it because I've been working with, you know, evil and uh, destructiveness with people for decades in order to help them wake up to their own so that they don't, as a cell of the greater body, to recognize how we are contributing to it from our unconscious denial of our own darkness, right? Yes, exactly. And that's that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about because so many people are being led by the nose to yes. actually participate yes. at this dark level without realizing how it's like sitting out on the outer edge of the branch and sawing it off. Yes, yes exactly. But you know, the thing is, Tonio, it's not it's not just new. This has been going on for decades and decades. I mean, this has been going on for the whole history of humanity because we've been we've always had a dark side and a, you know, 50-50 kind of light and dark aspect to us as human beings. Yes. We're sort of in the middle road. We we're not totally involved and we're not totally <laughs> you know, dark, but this has been going on a long time, but with the advent of technology, it's been exacerbated. The Industrial Revolution triggered what's happening now in our world. Yeah, it, it started the acceleration. Exactly. It started the acceleration. And with it, you know, the technology that we've developed from this principle of evil of materialism has just, what is it? It's not a, a geometrical progression. I don't know the expression, but exponential with new technology and social yes. media it's it's going exponential and the term these days is viral viral there we go this really dates me i am so behind the times in my vocabulary you know cuz i never really plugged into the computer age until past 2000 i didn't have a computer for a long time so i'm not very fluent in the new language yeah, to a large degree, I'm out of touch with what's yes. going on in the world because I don't have any contact with social media. So either I'm, do I. I'm out of the loop. People tell me things that are happening, and I'm like, I didn't hear about that, and I yeah. never, I never hear about anything. Yeah, because everybody communicates through social media, and I don't, I'm not there, so I don't find out about anything. Well, you find out about things like on GDR, don't you? When I listen, what's happening to the in the world? Yeah, when I listen, and I listen to VPR sometimes. Yeah, and uh, it's maddening to hear what's happening. I mean, I'm continually becoming enraged by the insanity of it all. Yeah, and then I have to bring myself back. I, I I sort of tend to think that getting enraged is not so much about the insanity of it all but about your helplessness in the face of the insanity of it all. I feel that like helplessness is one of the most difficult pains to feel. Yeah. When you have vision and you can see what's going on and there's nothing you can do about it, it is really, it's, you know, it's like the helplessness of facing death. There's nothing you can do about the fact that you're going to die. Right. It's very, very sobering to have that yes. experience of seeing yes. the state of the world devolving into this kind of yes. chaos that doesn't need to be happening. And yet you realize that there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Just exactly. But Tonio, yes. it does need to be happening because it is happening. And it's like Paul Levy says, the poison needs to be the medicine that bursts open 
you know, bursts open the veil that is keeping us from enlightenment, from awakening. So it's only by creating this chaos and this crisis that the human race is going to take the next step, whatever it is. But it's yeah. definitely a step towards the greater good rather than ultimate evil, I'm pretty sure. I feel like we need to experience ourselves as the creators of this before we can create something different. But meanwhile, everybody feels like a victim and is pointing the finger outward to ourselves, to each other as the cause, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like at this point, because of social media and all this technology, humanity is starting this or beginning to go through this kind of collective journey of the dark night of the soul. Yes, exactly. And so it's necessary. I know that, you know, I feel my helplessness too. And, and in looking at what's going on, I keep saying, how could, how could people not see this? You know how much denial people have to maintain to not see the reality of what's going on? And it takes so much life force to maintain denial when it gets bigger and bigger the way it is. And one of the consequences of how much energy it takes is that it, it robs us of the ability to do anything else, to see exactly. anything beyond that. Exactly. Exactly. So here we are caught in this. And I've been seeing this going on for at least, it started with climate change, that I really started seeing climate change happening 20 years ago, when I would walk through the woods and see the changes that was happening. And not only ecologically, but in every system that exists that we've constructed. Yes. And COVID brought it to the surface. And again, this is how the poison becomes the medicine. COVID brought the medical system, the educational system, the governmental system, and the economic system, those are the ones I can name just right now, to its knees. And all of it is crumbling. Right. They were all fatally flawed from the beginning. Exactly. But, but the world was small enough and disconnected enough that we could get away with it without realizing the consequences of it. But now it's breaking down very quickly. Our political system, we see it happening. It is moving exponentially towards self-destruction. The yes. economic system has always been fatally flawed. And, and, yet it's getting, and it's getting very, very, very fractured. I'm reading all sorts of articles about how the whole thing is going to collapse. There's too much separation between rich and poor. Well, not just that, but the, the whole, the nature of how the whole economic system is set up. Yes, that's how it ends up being the way it is, where there's five, you know, very rich people and the rest of the world is falling up its it, knees. It, it's the debt-based monetary system where money yeah. is lent out at interest and creates a game of musical chairs with money. It's also the extension of slavery, because when you put yourself in debt, you're working for the system. Exactly. Exactly. And that plugs into the uh, the musical chairs things. The people yes. who don't make it go into slavery or else they die. Yes. And that has to change. And I think many of us, <clears throat> some of us at least, have realized that we were going to have to have this complete breakdown of these systems. But we thought about it philosophically and didn't realize the actual pain that, that we would experience when it actually happened. And now it's happening and it's very painful. Well, I think it's been happening for a long time and we ignored it. I don't yeah. think now it's happening. I mean, you could have looked around the world 
at all of the people suffering in all the different places in the world and seen this is not (laughs) something wrong here. But our separation from every other human being, being our brother and sister, is what allowed this to happen. Exactly. That's that's what I meant by uh, the world was was kind of small enough that we didn't feel the connection with right, with the right. suffering because-, because most of the world has been suffering while we have been sitting in yes. in the lap of luxury. That's right. Yeah, but now it's all so coming home to roost here. Well, it has to because we have chosen to stay in denial, and mm-hmm. denial is more evil than the actual destructiveness itself because when you deny it. The actual separation, the actual materialism, the actual lies. Because if you deny it, you perpetuate it. But if you turn and face it, you can begin to make a different choice. Mm-hmm. So denial is really the stumbling block. Yeah. Not the fact that evil exists or that unconsciousness exists. Well, unconsciousness is part of the denial, but it's the denial itself. And people work so hard to stay in denial because of malignant egophrenia. Because they're so focused on just themselves that they don't want to connect to other people's suffering. They just want to have ease and comfort for themselves. So egocentricity is also one of the major proponents of evil. Yeah. And we're wired to feel other people's pain. So denial is our only protection. And it's also deadening us. It deadens us. Well, that's, that's it. That's how we protect ourselves is by... Right. We deaden ourselves. And that's why we are so susceptible to opioid addiction, because it's right. the same principle. Or even binge watching, <laughs> you know, right. yeah. all of it to distract us from what's really going on. And that's been the intention. That's another thing that I've read about, is how this intention has been put into place and materialized by the powers that be, for a long time, it's a psychological manipulation to keep right. us focused on ourselves instead of connecting to the, you know, the spiritual law of brotherhood. And it's ironic that religion was one of the first institutions to do that. That's right. That's yeah. right. To right. separate us from Christ consciousness. You had to go through the priest. <laughs> To separate ourselves from ourselves. Yes, exactly. But Christ consciousness exists in us. That's what I mean. Yes. When we're out of touch, when we're separated from ourselves, from our own sense of self-empowerment, which is our connection to our higher consciousness, our Christ self, or whatever you want to call it. And the reason I use the, the, the expression Christ consciousness, because that's what the church is based on, right? Supposedly... But again, it was another power play to separate us from ourselves so that the church can then hold all the power. Exactly. That's what it's about, power. And the awakening is to recognize that we are Christ. We are God. We are the creators to ourselves, to self-responsibility. Right. That the power resides with us, but along with the power comes responsibility and accountability and all of that. have to. Have to. Absolutely. Isn't that the definition of self-responsibility, the ability to respond to yourself when you finally recognize that you're the creator? So if I'm a creator and I'm participating in creating what's going on, it's my responsibility to see how. How am I doing that? I catch myself every day, Tonio, going into separation. 
you know, looking out and, and wanting to blame something out there or someone out there for my, my anger. Exactly. You know? And that's coming to a head. We look at the state of the world. We look at these insane political things that are happening in, in this country. And often I, I have this knee-jerk reaction of rage and, and yes. frustration. And then very quickly, I come back to realizing, well, yeah, I have to deal with that in myself. It's not just happening out there. It's, right. actu- it's actually happening inside of me. And when I get caught up in it, I'm contributing to it. I'm creating it. Yeah, the thing is, the automatic reaction of every human being, I think, but every, at least every single human being that I've ever known, which is a lot in my work, the automatic reaction to avoiding our own self-responsibility is to blame and project. So we may see something that very much disturbs us and automatically, instead of staying with ourselves and feeling the disturbance and the pain and seeing how we're part of it because we're not separate, we immediately point the finger outward as the cause being outside of us. So we don't have to experience ourself and our contribution to the destructiveness, our feeling, our own trauma, our own pain and our own lower self. You know, we just avoid all of that and, and push it outwards and point the finger and blame and project. And that's where we're caught. That's where we're caught. That's the denial. Instead of staying with ourselves and staying with the disturbance in us, we throw it outside and we contribute to creating the great disruption that's happening now. Yeah, yeah. It's very much like acknowledging and accepting that we're, we're going to die. Yes, exactly. And feeling the helplessness of not being able to do anything about it. Facing death is really having to enter into utter helplessness and then surrender, you know, moving from helplessness to surrender. Right. But there's also sitting with the, the uh, uncomfortable emotional responses to it. Like, yes. like many yes. people have tremendous fear of dying. So they have to sit with that as well. Absolutely. I have fear of dying as well as acceptance of dying, but I have fear as well. And I know I'm going to have to face that fear and I do it almost every day. So I can stop resisting, <laughs> you know, right. but well, it's also, we can stop resisting our own resistance that we experience. Mm-hmm. If we're experiencing a lot of resistance, we can actually allow ourselves to sit with the resistance we're feeling. So we can begin exactly where we are. Exactly. That where we happen to be right now, no matter what it is, no matter how it feels, that is the beginning point that we have to work with. Absolutely. Otherwise, we go into denial and project. And, and separation. Yes, from ourself. My, the, the word I've been using lately for everything I do with people, all the work I do with people is stay. You know, instead of leaving yourself from whatever you're leaving inside of yourself, see if you can have the courage to stay with it so that you can stay connected to yourself because you are waiting for yourself on the other side of whatever this wave is that you want to avoid. This, you know, maybe triggering your trauma or your destructiveness or your hate. Stay with it yeah. and let, let yourself experience it because you're waiting for yourself on the other side. If you automatically leave it and, and point the finger outward, then you're separating from yourself and you have no ability to affect anything. You have no ability not only to affect anything, but to totally experience what is. 
you know, which is why we're here. Right. Yeah. We take away the ability to, to actually respond to it as opposed to knee jerk reacting to it. Exactly. And yeah, staying with it, stop running, stop trying to run from everything that scares you and makes you feel uncomfortable. And also stop trying to fix things all the time. Yes. We're obsessed with simple and immediate solutions. And sometimes, in fact, most of the time, we actually need to sit with what we perceive as the problem. What we perceive is as broken. And we need to sit with our own brokenness. Yep. You know, it's not about, it's, you see, that's the other thing. When, when you get to be my age and maybe, you know, you're not far behind me. I'm 75 going on 76 soon. You realize you can't fix what's broken anymore. When I was young, I used to be able to heal pretty quickly from anything. I had a very strong constitution and I knew that my body would take care of it regardless. So for the longest time, I I didn't have a medical doctor until just recently, I just met one that I like. But in any case, at my age, you realize, oh, my hip is deteriorating and I can either get a hip replacement or I can just be with what is. The fact is I'm, I'm dying. My body is breaking down. I'm dying. And I sort of meet everything that in the past my body could take care of or I could go and get fixed by something, you know, an acupuncture or whatever. But right now I'm really in the, in the throes of recognizing I can't fix it anymore. I need to surrender to it. Yeah. Again, I think it always boils down to the fact that we're all going to die. Yep, exactly. We're all going to fall apart and die. We're all going to die. Our body's going to deteriorate and we're not going to be able to climb that mountain. And we're not going to be able to, you know, whatever, swim across a lake. Or we're not even going to be able to maybe get out of the chair at some point, you know, or go up the stairs. Or get off the floor. Or get off the floor. Yeah. That's why Stephen Jenkinson has had such a huge effect on the world or on the people that hear him. Because Mm -hmm. he directly addresses the fact that we're dying from the minute we're born, but really dying. You know, all of us are dying. And all of the throes of all this power play and all of this accumulated wealth and all of this having to be in front of a camera and all of it is because we're afraid of dying. That's an interesting way of, of looking at it. But yeah, from the moment we're born, we are dying. And that's, yes. that's the nature of, of the universe, of the physical yes. manifested universe, that as soon as something is born into existence, it's on its way towards dying. The endless cyclical cycle of creation and destruction, birth and death. It's inevitable. There's no escape from it. It's a spiritual law. <laughs> it's, that's the reality. And um, it's the great lesson that we have to learn. And that's probably why we come into this world. I think so. Is just to learn that one simple and yet incredibly complex lesson. Yes. If we can learn that lesson, then who knows what's next? (laughs) Who knows what's possible? Right, exactly. They keep surrendering to death. They keep surrendering to death. I feel that the proponent of learning that is love. You know, if you can stay connected to your heart, if you could stay connected to the reality that love 
is the life force that animates the universe, if you could stay connected to that, which is like quantum physics, and we're getting to that reality more and more, then you have no fear because it's, it's your life force. And whether your life force is moving through your body or whether your life force is released, you know, to enter into everything else, it's all one already. So when you open to love inside of you, you have direct access to experiencing the interconnectedness of all that is because it's moving through everything else. Yeah. It's the life force that animates the universe. When you can open to your own love, you experience the oneness that's always available to you in every moment. Right. If you can, if you can fully accept everything just the way it is. It goes beyond acceptance, Tonio, because everything is love. I'm actually using the term acceptance as the equivalent of love, because when you okay. can fully accept things, when you can fully allow it, that, that is an act of love. Of self love. It is love. An act. acceptance is an amazing step. Yeah, acceptance is is a prerequisite to loving. Yeah, and I'm and I'm thinking of acceptance in this way as a maybe a higher level of of you know we use the term acceptance as in a kind of trivial way, but I've come to learn it as a very profound act of love. It's like we are part of the universe learning to accept, to fully accept who we are and our place in the universe. And to Uh me, that's the great inclusiveness of love. Yes. It's an act of oneness. Exactly. It's the bridge from duality to unity. Exactly. And that's love. And that's love. It's the experience of unity. (laughs) Exactly. And if you look at where we are now, we're in the direct, direct opposite of this, we are in such blatant egocentricity that we're in total separation. We hold ourselves as a human race, each individual person as being separate from everything else. Yep. And that's egocentricity. And- so we're in the direct opposite of, of unity, of oneness, and we are being pushed to the limit, you know, until we explode into oneness. Instead of choosing to make that bridge, to create that bridge from duality to unity through acceptance of what is and acceptance of each other and our differences, we are going in the exact opposite direction. And so we are creating so much experience of separation that we're tearing ourselves into pieces, right? Mm -hmm. We're accelerating the process. Accelerating the process. Right. So we can actually thank our current politicians and the the media for bombarding us with, with all this stuff. Yeah, because it's accelerating the process. And that is necessary because we, you know, the earth is not going to be destroyed. The universe is not going to be destroyed, you know, and I don't think the human race is going to be destroyed. But certainly we have to wake up before we create so much, so much suffering and so much anguish and so much trauma. Well, crisis seems to be the great motivator for humanity. It seems to be. Unfortunately, it's crisis for us to awaken. We will not make that choice of feeling our own discomfort, of facing our own hate, of facing our own selfishness and greed. We will not make that choice. And so we create crisis to force us to see the outcome, the result, the effect of all of those things that live in us. This is the effect. And we are the cause. 
Yeah. And most of the human race looks outside of themselves as the cause and that they're at the effect of it instead of recognizing they are the cause and life is the effect. Right. We have to recognize that we're the cause. It's not yeah. that it's not that we're to blame or that there's no. something wrong with us. It's just no. that we are the cause. We are God, the creator. Well, we are God, the co-creator. Yes. But, you know, regardless, just to keep it simple. Yeah. We are the cause of what's happening now on the earth. Exactly. And each of us plays a part of it, a critical part of it. A critical part, our consciousness, our energy, you know, is creating. And until we stop looking outside of ourselves as the cause and take responsibility for being the creators, the outer will just keep reflecting back more and more until we wake up. Mm-hmm. If we look at yes. the ugliness and the destruction of what's going on right now, do we have the courage to look that this lives inside of us? Mm-hmm. This is mirroring back to us what we have to face within. This is the reason for being on the material plane, is that we materialize what lives inside of us so that we can awaken. And many of us often feel very small and that we are inconsequential, but that's not true. We are very consequential and we have a lot of responsibility in all of this. And most of us think that we're too small to make a difference in the world. First of all, we are small because we're each individual cells of one body. And so imagine each individual cell taking responsibility for something, and everyone is one body, you're changing everything. Everyone is part of one body. We are not separate. We just believe we're separate. We are not separate. And we're all affecting each other and the whole body. And so to the, you know, the point is, we need to wake up to the fact that there is no separation. We're not separate. And every day, Tonio, I look for how I hold myself separate. And we have mirrors all around us to reflect that back to us. Yes, all the time. You know, for example, (laughs) I I can name lots of places where I can go into blame and hate. When somebody drives past my house at 60 miles an hour instead of 30, I hate that person. (laughs) I want to kill them, you know? Yes. Yeah, it sounds strange to hear you and I talking about hatred and and wanting to kill people. But yeah, I experienced that too. When I listen to the news sometimes and I hear the latest shenanigans that that some of these crazy politicians are pulling, I start, you know, imagining ways of- Shooting them. Exactly. (laughs) As if that's going to actually solve anything. No, but of course, but that's, but the thing is, I've gotten to a point where I've created- a mantra kind of thing that helps me come back to myself instead of focusing on the outer hate and blame, which is just like me. So the place I go to when somebody, you know, drives past my house at 60 miles an hour, where I have grandchildren crossing the road and dogs crossing, you know, I'm so angry. I go, what an egocentric son of a bitch, you know? And then I go, just like me. Yeah. And I have to go back to my response to that is egocentric. He's disrupting my personal life. And that's egocentric. So if I can practice that as often as possible, I can stop participating in creating separation. 
but it begins with acknowledging how we're contributing to it and how we're actually doing the same thing that they're doing. And exactly. That's, and that's what I recognize that when I get angry and I, I want to kill them or, you know, I start imagining ways of like that person that broke into the name. Uh, exactly. I've had, I've had, with a hammer. Yeah, I've had <laughs> fantasies of kidnapping some of these people and tying them to a chair and saying, OK, here's your choice. You can change or you can die yeah, <laughs> or, or, or something like that with a hammer. Yeah, something like that. And then I realize, okay, I'm doing the same thing they're doing. Exactly. And I and cycle I, through that so often. But how do you change that reaction? That's the thing. I change it because I've been, a, I've been alive long enough that I've seen myself go through that cycle so and many when you times. Go through that cycle, then what do you do? Well, then I can relax because I realize that, that I'm just contributing to that and that that's not the way. But the thing is, there's a choice to make in that moment when you recognize that you go to hate. What is there to do? There's a, a process to do inside of us. What I do is I try to find the point from which I react, that I go into that emotional reaction. And ultimately, it takes me back to my wound. Ultimately, it takes me back to my trauma. So you're talking about a specific trauma that happened in your life. I think a trauma happens in everybody's life. And I think that every time we go into emotional reaction, our trauma is being touched. I think I, that happens every time we go to hate or trauma is being touched. Yeah, yeah, no question. And if Absolutely. we do the work of going to that place and, and working with that part of us that's traumatized each time and holding that part and helping, you know, heal the trauma or dissipate the trauma, the reaction changes. Again, our life, you know, it's almost like our life is being threatened by that car that's driving by at 60 miles an hour. Exactly. That is, and, that is what's happening is, is we're feeling the, like our life is being threatened by, by some outer yes, circumstances that yes. feels beyond our control. And so, so therefore we're back to life and death, right? Right, exactly. So I want to get more into this, this issue of dealing with our own trauma. I want to talk a little bit about this because in all the years that I've been doing this work, this spiritual work, one of the things I've discovered most recently, which is very powerful, Tonio, and I use it in my work, is that the dark forces, the lower self, uses our trauma to keep us in fear and separate from who we really are. It enters into our consciousness through our trauma. So through manipulating, touching, you know, making it come to the surface so that we get identified with our trauma instead of who we really are. That's how it wields this force over us. That's how it takes authority over us. And if we're willing to stay with the trauma, we take back our authority. That's why the word stay is central to the work I do right now. Stay with the experience of your trauma from history because it's not happening now. You are not a helpless two-year-old or one-year-old or 10-year-old. It's not happening now. Your trauma is not happening in this moment. And if you can stay with the discomfort, knowing that you are now an adult who has developed a personal authority, you can hold this trauma and move through it and even have a healing effect on it by loving it, loving that part of yourself that's traumatized, and reconnect to who you really are. That's always waiting for you on the other side of the trauma. Always. 
Who you are is always present. It's up to you whether you do the work to connect to that or not. It's not going to happen through grace. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's going to happen by grace giving you the opportunity to do the work you need to do to liberate yourself from your trauma as the authority over your life. Your trauma yeah. is always informing you unconsciously and we are always reacting from that place. I, wanna, I want you to clarify something. You, you say that what you do is you go inside to connect I, with this, the source of the trauma. So are you going for the specific originating trauma or are you just going to the actual feeling of discomfort? That's start, the manifestation of the trauma. I start with the feeling of discomfort. And the discomfort is either terror or it's usually terror. I think that terror is central to trauma. Okay. It's shock and terror. <laughs> and I, I stay with that. That in <laughs> itself, that discomfort will take me to a memory or a moment of trauma that has been touched by whatever the experience is outside. That well, trauma of trauma. Use a recent example to walk us through that process for you. Oh, um, like you mentioned when, like I've been at your place and usually it's a UPS truck or a, yes. a large pickup truck whizzes by at high speed. Okay. Okay. I'm going to expose my personal trauma now. Okay. But I'm going to do it. The experience of that feels so invasive to me. So invasive. And that's where it takes me. It takes me to when I was a child and I was sexually abused that invasiveness and that helplessness in the face of it is where it takes me. That place of helplessness and invasion and where there is no me, where there is no consideration of the effect on me or I don't matter. It's I'm only there as an object to fulfill someone else's need. And it has a, a very traumatizing effect on my body. That's what happens. And if I can stay with that, if I can stay with that, I can liberate that truck and I can liberate myself and I don't have to stay in my hate or blame or projection and I can go back to who I really am. I can connect to myself and stay with myself because when I'm connected to myself, really connected to myself, it is blissful. I have an experience of total pleasure of being alive. You just said something really, really wonderful. You said liberate the truck as well as liberating yourself. Yeah. And this is a critical thing yeah. to recognize because this whole world is a, is a unified being and it includes the truck. It includes the person who sexually abused you. It includes the people who trespassed upon each one of us in whatever way they did. And when we can connect with ourselves at a deep enough level of wholeness that we can free those outer causes from affecting us. Yes. That frees us. That heals us to the degree that it allows us to reconnect with our, with our own wholeness. That's right. And it is that, that place that you call acceptance. And what I call is moving from duality to unity. It eliminates separation. Exactly. And it's so profound to see it in the mundane world. 
down at the at the granular level. Yes. And that's why working with the trauma is a crucial step to healing everything. And most I always I've been saying this for at least two or three years, or maybe well, since January 6th, anyway, all those people are traumatized. If I can relate to all of this hate and blame and lying and all of the separation that's happening in our country and say, everybody's traumatized, that's where it's all coming from. It's so much easier to hold them in forgiveness or understanding because I'm traumatized too. And we don't necessarily have to connect to the original source trauma. No. To, to do this, because I'm sure from your many years of experience, you're working with people who are not able to identify a specific source trauma, and yet you can still work with the trauma that they're feeling in their body. Yes, I can. And what I try to do is help them to connect to the original source trauma, because the story is very important. And as long as it stays unconscious, it will continue to inform you. So to begin with, yes, to identify it as trauma is the first step. Mm -hmm. And then to do the work of connecting to the original source trauma is the next step to really liberate yourself. Otherwise, it stays in there. It stays there as what it is. Well, I've read that it's not essential to discover, you know, the original event that caused it that you can still feel into the trauma itself without the direct specific memory, but the actual feeling that they have in their body. I see, I see, I see, yeah. Because we're constantly being triggered, and what the triggering does is it connects us to the feeling of the trauma. Yes, and I want to say, though, that in my experience, if you are willing to and have the courage to stay connected to the feeling of the trauma, eventually, inevitably, it takes you to the source of it. I would say that that's generally the case, but I would I would say there's probably always exceptions to the rule for whatever sure. reason. Yeah. So I just want people to have the sense that if they're unable to connect with the original trauma, that doesn't that's stop okay. them. That, that does not stop the process, no. Yeah, yeah, it's very important to connect our emotional reaction to our trauma rather than the outer, and then take it back to recognizing this is not necessarily the truth. This is not necessarily happening now. This is not necessarily the reality of the moment. This is our history, and that's what we're responding to. We're not reacting to what's actually happening now. Right. And even our memories have been proven to be... Faulty. Yeah. yeah. So it's not about the memory. It's about the feeling. It's about the it direct is- feeling experience that we have in our body in response to things. Absolutely. And those are often extremely uncomfortable. And yet that's the the difficult work that we have to do is to stay present. We have to find a way. We have to learn the skill of staying present with the feeling for as long as it takes to change, to shift. Yes. To connect to ourselves because our trauma is only a little part of ourself. If we stay with the trauma and don't leave and blame and project, we have access to our self, which is standing right there next to it. And it's actually the self that's right there that needs to be engaged with the trauma and hold it. Because the trauma just happens to temporarily be in between. 
yes. separating us. Yeah. And, and it's also the gift. It's the portal through which we have to go through. That's so right. we can we can see it as being a terrible, painful thing. And we can also see it as a profound opportunity exactly. to reconnect with ourselves, to connect, to reconnect with our, to use your term, Christ consciousness. Yes. Christ self. I yeah. also use divine essence. I love the word essence. Our essential being, essential self. Yes. And it's always there. It's not like we have to look for it. Exactly. It's there. It's it's who we really are. But we have all this stuff in the way of of experiencing ourselves there. You know, exactly. so it's about staying with what separates you from who you really are. And it's always painful and it's always scary to stay with what separates you because what separates you is not love. Yeah. And if we are able to love the fact that we have a task, we have a task. That's why we incarnate. And if we're able to love our task, we can love our trauma. And we have to love our trauma instead of reject it and bury it and hate it and get rid of it. We have to love it. That's the exactly. only way to transform it. So love, we have a task. Our task is our trauma. What we experienced in our childhood is the materialization of the task we came in to walk, to journey, to transform our fear and our pain into love. And trauma is our task. Yeah. So there's no escape from the pain. No. If we want to grow, if we want to become That's whole again. That's right. Yeah. And there's no escape from the pain in this world because what we experience as pain in this world are reflections of our inner pain and our inner traumas. What you described before as, the, you know, the, the process is exactly what the world is going through right now. It was yeah. a microcosm of the macrocosm. This is exactly what we're going through as a species. Yeah. And it's really easy to, to get lost in that and to feel extra helpless and frustrated. Yes. So there's another layer of the trauma that we have to sit with. It's a reflection of our own. Yeah. Exactly. It's just that we're seeing exactly. it reflected back like exactly. in a house of mirrors. Exactly. And if we are willing to do the work of staying with our own and loving ourselves there, then it will change everything on the outer because we're each individually participating in what is being created. So it's in a, the avoidance of feeling our pain and fear that we're creating this mess. Right. So normally we're extremely uncomfortable with seeing a reflection in any single mirror, but now we're having hundreds and maybe even thousands of mirrors around us simultaneously reflecting the stuff back. So we're feeling exceptionally bombarded and overwhelmed yes. by all this stuff. And we're taking a lot more drugs and we're committing a lot more suicide because we don't want to face ourselves. Right. We have to face it. And there are traditions that say if you manage to avoid in this life, you're just going to have to come back and deal with it again in, a, in another life. That's the whole purpose of incarnating. What else right. are we here to do? Yeah. Really? So again, there's no escape from this task that we have. I call it the plan of salvation. It's brilliant. We can't avoid ourselves, And it's always contributing to our awakening. It's happening in service to love as the life force that animates the universe. It just creates more liberation of that life force, you know, as we awaken more and more and more. It's self-perpetuating. It's all in yeah. service to the awakening of the life force that animates the universe, mm -hmm. which is and, love. 
Yeah. And once we can get to that place, then a whole new horizon of possibility opens up. Yeah. Who knows what it is? What is it? Do you know? Right. (laughs) Who knows? Exactly. Who knows? We don't know. It's all a great adventure and a great, you know, we call it the great mystery, but we're unraveling the mysterious part of it, even in this conversation, but with quantum physics and the constant exploration of going deeper and deeper. And we're awakening more and more to the, you know, just recently, I really realized because before I used to feel a lot more hopelessness around all this, but I realized to the degree that we are so, you know, being gripped by the dark side, there's a lot more awakening happening too. There's a lot more light coming in or in each one of us. There's a lot more awakening going on in individually. And so it's balancing out, you know, it's it's happening. And it takes the darkness having to face ourselves and our darkness in order to awaken to our light. It's inevitable. And, and if we avoid our darkness and our destructiveness and our trauma and all of that, we will not awaken. We will not awaken to the light. We will not know ourselves as divine beings or essentially love, you know? Mm-hmm. We also have to recognize the true nature of this light and dark. And the old yin-yang symbol exemplifies it very beautifully. Yes. Light and dark are inextricably connected. And at the heart of darkness, exists the light and in the heart of the light exists the darkness so they're cyclically and permanently in this realm in the realm of duality they are inextricably connected yes so we have to learn to accept the darkness we have to learn to accept evil that's what love is about yeah love love is about being able to embrace evil and darkness because it's part of the great wholeness of everything I don't know if evil is part of the wholeness of everything. I think the dark is a a part of the wholeness of everything. I think evil exists on our plane of existence. I don't know if it's ultimate reality. I don't know, Tonio. I'm not saying that you're wrong here. I don't actually believe in evil per se. I think evil is just a kind of conceptual manifestation of our world in the sense that the way the way in in terms of in quantum terms how we collapse reality into certain, you know, discrete observable states based upon our awareness, our consciousness. Yes. And the thing is, I've always identified evil as the constriction of love. It's, It's love with a twist going in the wrong direction. And the twist that chokes up that current of life force is the trauma. And when it comes to light and dark, that darkness is just the absence of light. Yes. And evil, I think you said it, that evil is denial. Yes. And in a parallel sense, that's like the absence of light. When you do not bring the light of awareness to reality, then you have the potential for quote unquote evil, something that festers in the dark. Yes. I want to say, just in our reality, I think that evil is born of the fear of death. Because right there, there's a constriction. Whenever you have fear, that's where evil can fester. Yeah. And death is one of the things that's most frightening to human beings. And there's an emotional death that happens, that has to happen in every moment to get to the next moment. There's, a, there's always a death happening 
in order to be stay present. And in the work that I do, I invite people to die emotionally all the time, to let go of their defenses, to let go of their pretenses. That's an emotional death. And our attachments. We become attached to mm-hmm. things that we like in our life, that we enjoy. And we inevitably go through the experience of death in relation to those attachments, to those things that we cling to. That we let go of. That we have to let and go of. It's the letting go. And there's also the identity, where we're identified. It feels like dying when we're identified with our defense or our pretense. It's a death. Because we're identified there. We believe this is what keeps me alive. This is who I am. This is my success, you know? Right. The falsity of any form of identification. Yes. It has this, to die again and again and again. Exactly. It necessitates death because we've created an illusion, just like in the, the cycle of birth and death. When we create an illusion, it has to die. Yes. And we get to experience the pain or the consequences of it, that we we experience it in our bodies emotionally. It becomes the medicine. It's only through feeling our pain that we are motivated to change. So it becomes the medicine. And it's only by going directly through our pain that we get to whatever it is, the freedom, the connection that exists on the other side. Ourselves. We're waiting for ourselves right there. Our sense of being. Yes. It's almost like we're... uh, a reverse Oreo cookie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we've touched on a lot of things, Tonio, in our conversation here. Yeah, we have. You're listening to WGDR Plainfield and WGDH Hardwick Community Radio. I listen when I'm naked. I was just going to ask if you thought it would be appropriate to bring up the uh, toad medicine in relation to any of this. Or if that should be safe for another conversation or just for us to just skip it for now? Well, I'm very open to talking about it. I don't know how to weave it into this conversation. I'll just say this much about the toad medicine and my experience of it is that it really... (laughs) All right, we'll go into it a little bit. As I said before, the work that I do is helping people to connect to their trauma so that the dark energies of Watiko or the lower self doesn't have power over us through it to keep us disconnected from ourselves. And it takes years of work to really, first of all, recognize that we have trauma. Second of all, feel and experience the trauma. And third of all, stay with it so that we can, with the intention of connecting to who we really are. It takes years and years of work. What the bufo medicine does, what the toad medicine does, is sort of addresses a layer of that trauma in one fell swoop. And it's wrenching and it's a death that happens there. When you do it slowly, when you do it one step at a time, when you do it walking with somebody and holding the light, a candle to say, let's go this way, let's look at this, it's less wrenching. It's not like tearing something apart. The bufo medicine feels like tearing something off. And again, wherever we're identified with those places, it could be a trauma. But right on its heels is the experience of extraordinary oneness, extraordinary no separation, but in such a massive way, Tonio. 
it takes over your very being, your very essence. It's much bigger than what you are. And you have to fully die to be able to experience it because it's so much more than our experience of ourself. But it does start with addressing the trauma. And it's huge. What takes years of work can be done in one Bufo experience. But I don't feel like it's a final step. In other words, I feel that because I've done this work for all of my life almost, but really consciously maybe for 40 years, it's almost like a prerequisite to then taking this step with this medicine. Because if you're unconscious of even having trauma, this could be very disturbing to the soul on the soul level. I don't think it's for everyone. It doesn't sound like it would be for everyone. No, it isn't. And I don't think it should be something to recommend at all. Yeah, I I agree. And even for people who who feel very connected and solid in themselves should, should think twice about it. Absolutely. I experienced meeting someone who actually was an assistant in administering the medicine. He was an assistant that you have several assistants there to help who was so lost in the Bufo experience that he was gone. I could see how gone he was. He didn't develop enough of a sense of self as a human being to be able to do that much Bufo that he was doing. And he was gone. It could be a very dangerous thing if you're not self-responsible. Mm-hmm. You've worked with many people in your life. And this is in relation to having spent many years doing this kind of work on ourselves and observing the cycles of birth and death and idealization and and disillusionment in our own lives. When you're working with younger people, do you see a major difference in the way they process this and, and process their way through this compared to people who have much more experience? Well, when you say younger people, you're talking about consciousness wise, right? Not age wise. Both. I'll let you clarify the distinction. I want to say, okay, I feel that we have different stages of development throughout our life, okay, that are natural stages of development. My experience of working with younger people, people in their 20s, let's say, I haven't worked with teenagers, even though I have granddaughters and I work with them constantly, unconsciously or intentionally, but not intentionally, just by being in relationship with them. But still, working with people in in their 20s, being really young, I find that all they need, it's really remarkable, is two or three years of the work, and some of them even less, uh, that there is a greater reality than the immediate world and than their immediate experience of the world. Just to be exposed to an expanded consciousness is enough to liberate them to do their lives in a different way, to make different choices, to liberate themselves from their anxiety of stepping into life. And the knowledge of a greater reality is all that they really need. Working on their trauma can come later. Their trauma is being disconnected from the greater reality. And as soon as I introduce that and help them see it, they're gone. They take off and go, wow, yes, this is exactly what I needed. See ya. Yeah, I'm bringing that up because for three years, I co-hosted another interview show 
where we interviewed Goddard students. And I got to talk with many young Goddard students, many of them in their 20s, who have had that experience. And they seem to be light years ahead of exactly us. Yep. They're ready for it, you know. And I also feel that the traumas are different. Now, if we look at children, kids now and the trauma that they're facing with the world, right? Like, for instance, with my granddaughters, my older granddaughter is so active right now in trying to have an effect in the world to give herself a future, you know, which she will have, but she's very involved in, and has a voice and she's using it. But I look at the difference between her and me where my voice was silent for a long time because I was so traumatized. She is so much less traumatized than I am because of the nature of her parents' consciousness. Okay? So... She's uh, much more empowered. She feels much more sense of empowerment. Exactly. And I don't know if this is true across the board of that generation, but I think that also because of social media and being exposed to the rest of the world, I feel that the level of trauma that happens to younger people is less extreme only because maybe they don't feel alone in it. Or maybe because they hear other stories of the other people's traumas on the internet. They're exposed to the world and a level of trauma that exists in the world where they're not alone in it. And I think that for older people like me, I think that I felt, I believed I was alone in my trauma and that I was the only one that was traumatized like this. And there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Right. I had the same experience. So that it created, it created a much more, a bigger experience of separation. But yeah. I feel that these kids are feeling a lot less separation because they're exposed to the reality of what goes on, you know, through the Internet. So there's a positive aspect of the Internet, too. But I'm also hearing about how lots of young people through the power of the Internet are having the negative reinforcement. Of course there is. Of course. It's creating tremendous despair in some of them who don't have that feeling of empowerment. They're, in fact feeling even more disempowered and many are committing suicide or feeling yes. completely hopeless and and unable to do anything. So yeah, it's both. It's both, but I don't know even if it, it is the internet, Tonio. I just threw that out as a speculation. But all I don't know, even know if people are being less traumatized than I was in my generation. I just find that people of my age or even a little younger who weren't exposed to the consciousness of Gabor Mate or other people that are out there talking about this felt totally isolated in their trauma. And our trauma, our narratives, our stories were perpetuated over a much longer period of time. And so exactly. take a lot more doing to un unravel them. Exactly. And they were hidden. We were, we felt shame about our trauma, not even knowing exactly. we had trauma. So the yeah. shame perpetuated the hiding. So this isolation that happens around trauma is what meant, uh, you know, what perpetuates separation. Yeah, and shame is such an incredibly powerful- Oh my God, weapon of the evil. It's a weapon yeah. of evil, yeah. And shame that is not acknowledged is it, perhaps the most destructive force in, in our world. Well, that's, I think it is the force behind denial. Yeah, well, it's the energy that fuels yeah. denial, yeah. That's right. It's like nuclear fuel for denial. That's right. 
And it's hard to face that feeling, that nuclear-powered feeling of shame. Well, that's why it's always good to have somebody sitting with you who loves you or can hold you in it. Yeah. yeah. That's the only way you're going to be able to move through it. That's right. You can't do it alone. And you can't go around it. You have to go directly through it. And that's another, I want to say, that's another energetic example of evil, of being caught in that vortex of shame, exacerbated by the dark side. That's how it, it keeps us separate from ourselves. So unless somebody comes along to say, no, let's face this, let's look at it, let's, let's just take this risk, have the courage of facing your shame, facing what you're ashamed of, which is your trauma. Right. So anything that you've discovered, anything you find within yourself that you feel ashamed about, no matter what it is. No matter, no matter what how, it is. And no matter how you rationalize it or explain how you, you can't possibly share this with anybody else. This is the great work that we have to do right right now. It is. As soon as you see it, as soon as you recognize that you have the shame, that's the work to do. Yep. Because it is the trauma, the same thing. The shame is attached to the trauma because as children, we believe that we are being, let's say, abused because of us, not because of the perpetrator. That's how children experience reality. The children are very egocentric. Everything revolves around their experience. And therefore, if something negative happens to them, it's because of them. If something positive happens to them, it's because of them too. But the abuse is absorbed and we hold ourselves responsible as children. And that's where the shame is. Yeah. And that's where a healthy, emotionally mature adult parent can help a child accept whatever they experience within themselves. That's right. And it's a very important, that's again, facing your trauma. It's the willingness to stay, stay with what lives in you so you can liberate yourself. So if you have children, for anybody who has children, this is the most important work that we can do for them by doing it on ourselves. Yes. When we do our own work, we liberate something in our children too. And the whole world. And the whole world. There we go again. It's all connected. It's all connected. All of it. Yep. (laughs) It's so simple. And yet the realm of human experience can be so complicated. Yes. We complicate it. We complicate it. We complicate it. And what further complicates it is the presence of negative intention and dark forces. Well, what do you mean by dark forces? I'm talking about lower self, negative intention, the forces of evil that exist in this reality. I really believe that that they exist. What Tico, it is a destructive energy that has permeated everything. But you're you're talking about on the archetypal level. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes, I am. And, and, you know, there's a place where people don't want to believe that there are forces such as these beyond us, but there are. There is destructiveness, lower self, dark energies exist, whether we're born or not. We're not the ones that bring it in. This reality is 50-50. It's light and dark. It's day and night. It's man and woman. It's up and down. It's hot and cold. We are in a 50-50 realm of reality. And at the same time, there's higher self and lower self. Uh and it exists with or without us and we incarnate into this reality because it lives within us as well and we've come to wake up to this 
so the the archetypal notion of Watiko or these dark evil forces, they're like thought forms that have been fed yes. over over long periods of time, perhaps many thousands of years, and they grow into what some people call entities. Yes. And they they may not have corporeal presence, but we can actually give them corporeal presence through the power of our imagination and our fear. And we can also give them corporeal presence through our own, sorry, I'm going to say this, you know, I hope I'm forgiven, you know, through the embodiment of evil, like Trump and Putin and Bolsonaro and these people that are so disconnected from their own light and their own heart that they embody evil and evil can work through them. It's a form of channeling. We can channel love or we can channel fear. We can channel light or we can channel dark. We are instruments. And exactly. to agree that we are in relationship with what exists in us, that's the degree that we invite or are, are open to receiving the energies that are around us. So if we're totally unconscious and we have so much fear and hate and whatever else, you know, uh, punitiveness and resentment and vengefulness that lives in our energy system, that's what we attract towards us. And then we embody it more and more. Right. Those beings of darkness work with us. They feed us. It's like a vicious circle. We mm -hmm. feed them, they feed us. Yeah. And awareness gives us the possibility of choice. Yes. Lack of awareness that's right. eliminates eliminates that possibility. That's right. We then have free will, which is a gift that has been given to us as a really strong tool. Free will, the power of choice, of which we want to align with, the light or the dark, in any given moment. Yeah. But we have to recognize what lives in us before we have that choice. We have to recognize the process. We have to have the courage to remember our trauma that is affecting us. We have to have all of that, you know? Yeah. And we have to take responsibility for the effects of the different choices we've made throughout our lives so that we can truly feel the effect of our actions, of our past actions, so that, that we can learn from. Yes, and it's painful to feel the effect of our negative actions and what we created destructively. You know, it's painful to feel it, but it's the only thing that liberates us. It's the only way we learn. It's yeah. the only way we grow. Yeah, exactly. So, Nadia, this has been great talking with you yes. again. Yes, <laughs> great talking with you, Tonia. So yeah. how would you describe yourself for people who are listening to get a sense of who you are and the work you do? Um, I am a spiritual teacher. I've been educated and guided by a series of lectures called The Pathwork. They are channeled material. It was channeled back in the early 70s, late 60s. It's very powerful material. It's not for everyone, but that is the basis of the work that I've developed myself, my own personal work, which is basically my work has become working with the forces of darkness that obstruct us from realizing who we are, who we really are. I used to say, 
ultimately this work takes us to knowing that we are God. But I don't like using that word anymore because it's been so distorted. It takes us to discovering that we are creators. And there's a line from one of the lectures, and being that we spoke of evil, that I'd like to bring in here. The ultimate aim of the forces of darkness is to alienate creation from the creator. And that's the work I do. I help people connect to being the creators of their creation, of their life, of their life experience and the experience of the world, to connect creation with the creator. We are the creator. Creation is our life and the life around us. And we contribute to it constantly with knowing it and without knowing it. Consciously, we have positive intention. Unconsciously, we keep our negative intention unconscious and we create from that place too. So my work is to help people connect to what's unconscious in them that's creating unfulfillment, separation, pain, loneliness. We're creating it. And my task is to help people recognize how they're creating that for themselves and then in turn how they're creating the crisis that we're in on this earth. Pathwork. And that's the essence of my work, mm -hmm. connecting creator to creation or connecting creation to the creator. And it's not the creator outside of us, the almighty God out there somewhere. It's the creator inside of us. All of the work is inward. Right. Reestablishing the connection between the creator and creation as exactly. being inseparable. That's right on a continual moment-by-moment moment basis. On a moment-by-moment moment basis. Yeah. It's, all, it's just the den it's denial that separates creation from the creator, or creator from the creation. It's denial of our responsibility. Right, our and power. If, if we feel separate from our creation, then it's very easy to- Blame. And also to deny our yes. own responsibility. That's right. That's why we do it, to deny our own responsibility. Yeah. And that's what creates unfulfillment, because you're not fulfilling your task. Yeah. And the source of all destructiveness in the world. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So that's what my work is, is, is trying to hook people up with their creation and take responsibility for it. So I don't know if you are able to take on new clients, but if anybody is interested in working with you, how would they get in touch with you? Um, NadiaBeck at gmail.com. I don't have a website. I've never advertised my work. It all comes to me by word of mouth. NadiaBeck at gmail.com. Well, Nadia, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, Tonio, and you. Yes, it, it gets passionate and exciting. Yeah, well, thank you so much for doing this with me. You're welcome, Tonio, and bye. Bye.
little sisters of the sun lit candles in the rain, fed the world on oats and raisins, candles in the rain, lit the fire to the soul who never knew its friend. Maya Baba lives again, candles in the rain. To be there was to remember, so lay it down again. Oh, lay it down, lay it down, lay it down again. Men can live as brothers, candles in the rain.
that's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening. If you missed any of the show or would like to hear it again, you can find this and all Magical Mystery Tour shows at soundcloud.com slash WGDR. That's soundcloud.com slash WGDR. And until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other. 